Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. Bulgaria and North Macedonia's new prime ministers met on Tuesday in Skopje in an effort to improve relations and reach a breakthrough on the Bulgarian policy of blocking North Macedonia's path to EU membership. Since 2020, Bulgaria has blocked the opening of EU membership negotiation talks with North Macedonia because of disputes over history and language, but it faces pressure from its Western allies in the EU to be more flexible. Jamsaropoulos joins the Greek Current to look at this week's talks, break down the core issues at play here, and give the perspective from Greece. John Psaropoulos is an independent journalist based in Greece and Al Jazeera's Southeast Europe correspondent. John, it's great to have you back on The Greek Current. Thank you for having me, as always. John, Bulgaria and North Macedonia launched new talks this week with the aim of resolving the issues preventing North Macedonia's EU membership talks from kicking off. What came out of these discussions? At the moment, not much. It seems to be more an expression of goodwill and good intentions. The North Macedonian Prime Minister, who was just sworn in on Sunday, by the way, Dimitar Kovacevsky, in the place that Zoran Zaev held, said we did not even discuss the key issues separating us. We will leave those for a later deadline. And they appear to have discussed more run-of-the-mill subjects. But it's a start, and it's an important political signal that they intend to resolve this, because upon this depends the further progress of North Macedonia and Albania, the two countries have been tied together along the path to EU membership. The EU has been very skeptical about opening intergovernmental talks with both governments for years now. There's been resistance towards further expansion because, frankly, a lot of EU countries, especially in Western Europe, regret the large induction of Eastern European countries in 2004. Poland and Hungary and the Czech Republic haven't proven to be great team players on a number of issues. And there's been this resistance. But after a political crisis erupted last November in North Macedonia that nearly brought the government down and brought the opposition party into power, the VMRO, which opposes rapprochement with neighbors and has a much more nationalist policy, I think there was a change of heart in the European Union And key countries like France changed their position and said, okay, let's just go ahead with this. Let's open intergovernmental talks. So the European Union now appears to be ready, but there is now this stumbling block of the Bulgarian veto. Can you break down this issue of Bulgaria's veto for us? It's difficult to explain in historic terms, although it does have to do very much with history. Let me use the example of the North Macedonian rapprochement with Greece. In June 2018, as you know, the two countries signed the Brespis Agreement, which said two very important things. One is that the Republic of Macedonia will change its name to the Republic of North Macedonia. And that qualifier was accompanied by key guarantees of dropping all the redentist claims towards Greek territory and respecting sovereign borders. Of course, this was mutual. And it was accompanied by a second key point, which was that the histories of the two countries and the cultures of the two countries were made distinct. It was clearly stated in Article 7 that the history of the Macedonian kingdoms of ancient Greece, which lie south of the mountain range that separates Greece from North Macedonia, hue to the Hellenic culture and the Greek language, and the North Macedonian culture is Slavonic, and the North Macedonian 
language, even though it's called Macedonian in the treaty, is a Slavic language and belongs to the group of South Slavic languages. So with this agreement, Greek and North Macedonian cultures and histories were separated, the senses of identity were separated, and the two countries adopted a very pragmatic political approach to each other. Direct flights began between Athens and Skopje, trade was facilitated, Athens has been going around encouraging its European Union fellow members to facilitate North Macedonian membership as quickly as possible, including pressure on Bulgaria. And that was made possible because Greek culture is obviously different from Slavic. And the Greeks believe that there is a continuity from ancient times to today, and that they are a distinct culture and have a distinct language. This is not easily accomplished between North Macedonia and Bulgaria, because they are both Slavic peoples, and they speak basically the same language. I was speaking with Professor Yakovos Mikhailidis at the University of Thessaloniki, who has been studying this issue all of his life, really, and he's been reading archives in both Bulgaria and North Macedonia and Belgrade from the communist period and since. And what he told me is that, yes, North Macedonia basically spoke Bulgarian up until a certain point in the 1970s when it started making a very conscious effort to adopt as much Serbian vocabulary as possible in order to differentiate the language. And at that time, the Makedonski also insisted on having official interpreters at joint press conferences with Bulgarian officials, even though the translation was not strictly necessary because everybody understood what everyone was saying. But this was to make the political point that we are different from you. The Bulgarians have great trouble accepting this because in the Middle Ages, in the heyday of the Bulgarian Empire, what is now North Macedonia was part of the Bulgarian state. Because there is this history and because there is this linguistic, frankly, lack of distinction between the two languages, the Bulgarians' attitude towards the Makedonsky is, why are you presenting yourselves as a distinct people? You share our history and our language. If you now start calling yourself Macedonians, we're going to have to recognize a Macedonian minority within Bulgaria. This is a difficult political step for the Bulgarians to take. So it's now very difficult for cultural reasons and political reasons for this agreement to be concluded very quickly. Have there been efforts to resolve those differences between Skopje and Sofia in the past? I believe that there were conferences during the communist era between the Yugoslav government and the Bulgarian government, but the Bulgarians didn't fare well because they had been defeated as an Axis ally in 1945, and Within the communist international, they were seen as the losing party. So they were prevailed upon to accept, essentially, a Macedonian identity, a state, an ethnicity next door during the communist era. And the Makedonski, who were part of the victorious Yugoslavia that had resisted the Nazis under Marshal Tito and fought back, they were in a much stronger position to impose their identity in political terms. So in the discussions that have taken place hitherto, the Bulgarians were at a disadvantage. But now they are the European Union member. They have the power of veto over their neighbor. And it's perhaps the last chance they'll ever have to try and balance out the historical record in their favor. 
John, the Prespes name deal also set up a joint committee, as you mentioned, to resolve clashing historical claims with Greece. You report in your piece that the process seems like it's stalled. Why is that? When Syriza fell from power in July of 2019, certain loose ends were left. Certain bilateral agreements were meant to have been concluded and ratified in Parliament, which complete and shore up the Prespes agreements of 2018. One of those was simply the ratification in Parliament of a mutual defence agreement, which is already practically in force, whereby the Greek armed forces train the North Macedonian special forces, including the equivalent of the Navy SEALs, paratroopers, The Greek Air Force patrols the North Macedonian skies and provides air cover for that country and other such forms of defense assistance. And this was all very much to Greece's advantage because within NATO, and both countries are now NATO members, Greece and North Macedonia, it was Turkey that had provided these services before and insisted on continuing to provide them. But the Greeks managed to take responsibility for the training and the assistance of North Macedonian armed forces. And that strengthened the political bond between the two countries, and it was a confidence-building measure. Although that agreement is practically in force, it hasn't been ratified by Parliament, which is a formality, but it's an important one. It underlines the fact that Greece is serious about honouring the Prespes Agreement through time. A second agreement, which was never ratified in Parliament, concerns changes to the school textbooks of both countries. The former foreign minister under whom the joint committees of historians concluded the substance of this agreement, Yorgos Katrugalos, told me that everything had been finalized and the texts that would be studied by children in North Macedonia and in Greece had been agreed by both sides. And all that remained was for this again to be formally ratified in parliament. When Syriza fell from power, this hadn't yet happened. So those changes also have not been made. So the result is, for the last three years, North Macedonian children have been continuing to learn from textbooks that the Greeks take objection to. And there was a third agreement concerning the use of commercial signage and the use of the word Macedonia in English, which is really what interests everyone. I mean, in Greek, we say Macedonia. In Slavic, they say Macedonia, but the real bone of contention is who owns the word Macedonia in English, because that's what the world pays attention to. And the commercial agreement between the two sides would have gone some way towards providing some common ground on that. Why does the new democracy government not approve these and ratify these agreements? The opposition, Syriza says, they're under pressure from their nationalists, their right wing people still loyal to former Prime Minister Andoni Samaras, but also possibly to some of the former voters of Golden Dawn, which were reabsorbed into new democracy in the last election when Golden Dawn didn't make it into parliament. Those elements, says Syriza, are responsible for the government stalling on the rapprochement process with North Macedonia. And it's difficult to think of another explanation, frankly, because none of this is really in Greece's favor. Sticking with a view from Athens, John, Obviously, despite this stalling of the process, Greece has been an advocate, a strong advocate for North Macedonia's candidacy to join the European Union and the broader integration of the Western Balkans into Euro-Atlantic institutions. How does Greece view Bulgaria's policy now vis-a-vis North Macedonia? Well, historically, 
Of course, the Greeks agree with the Bulgarians. They don't consider the North Macedonians a distinct race. They know that it's a country largely made up of different heterogeneous ethnic groups and minorities. One third of the country is Albanian. There are many Vlachs, there are Gypsies, there are people who came from Greece as exiles after the Greek Civil War in 1949. There are Bulgarians. Bulgaria has actually issued passports to 130,000 people in the two million strong country. And there are Serbs. And it's difficult to forge a common identity out of them. And the Bulgarians and the Greeks who have a stronger and more deeply rooted historic sense of identity say, you know, we don't really take them seriously in cultural terms. And on the other hand, in political terms, the Greeks, of course, are in favor of a rapprochement being reached because neither the Greeks nor the Bulgarians want this country to fall by the wayside and to possibly break up. It is dangerous for both countries for a realignment of borders to happen in the Balkans and for movements of populations across borders and the creations of new minorities within Greek and Bulgarian borders. And this is a real danger emanating particularly from Bosnia-Herzegovina, from Kosovo, and extending in a domino effect possibly to North Macedonia. These are the weakest economically and politically states in the Balkans, partly because they lack uh, strong identities and continuity through history. And it turns out that in the Balkans, identity and continuity are extremely important in terms of shoring up your existence and your cohesion and your territorial integrity. So historically, the Greeks agree with the Bulgarians. Politically, they are gently nudging them to come to an agreement. John, thanks for joining us on The Greek Current. It was great speaking with you again. Thank you for having me. In other news, Greece raised 3 billion euros in a 10-year bond auction Wednesday, which supplements tax revenue to finance everything from free COVID-19 tests for schoolchildren to fighter jets following its years-long economic bailout program. Finance Minister Chrysos Taikouras said that this bond issue was a success as it attracted high demand and a high quality of investors. The yield was around 1.8% compared with 0.9% in June, a big increase that he attributed to an international rise in government borrowing expenses. Despite Greece's post-bailout recovery, Greek bonds are still rated as below investment grade. The government hopes to have secured the necessary upgrades from major ratings agencies by the end of this year or early 2023. Finally, Turkey's central bank kept a key interest rate unchanged on Thursday, halting a string of rate cuts that triggered a currency crisis and sent consumer prices skyrocketing. The central bank voted to keep its benchmark interest rate steady at 14%. The move was widely expected after a series of interest rate cuts late last year championed by Turkish President Erdogan, lowered borrowing costs by 5 percentage points, and triggered a run on the lira that saw the Turkish currency crash. Erdogan insists lower borrowing costs tame inflation, a view that starkly opposes mainstream economic theory, which holds that lowering interest rates feed inflationary pressures. Inflation in Turkey surged 36% last month, reaching a 19-year high. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.